Hey there, I'm Matt Tommy, and over the last 10 years, I've helped thousands of Christian artists all over the world start thriving spiritually, artistically, and in the marketplace, while at the same time building my own super successful art business. If you're ready to bust through the roadblocks that have held you back for years, create the work you love, and really live the life you know God created you to live in His kingdom, then you're in the right place, my friend. Now with over a million downloads, you're listening to the Thriving Christian Artist Podcast. Well, hey, my friends, I'm so glad that you're here with me on another episode of the Thriving Christian Artist. I am super excited and a little bit intimidated. I have such an incredible guest with me today. Mary McCampbell is not only a great author, she is uh, an incredible scholar uh, in the academic world over at Lee University. And Mary, man, I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much. It's a, a pleasure, a delight, and an honor to be here. And I'm intimidated by all these artists with <laughs> So, I mean, we are all intimidated by things that are kind of a little bit outside of our comfortable realm. That's right. <laughs> so, so I'm just excited to be here and be part of the conversation. Thank you absolutely. so much. Absolutely, absolutely. I don't know how you know the 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 Facebook land, right? The social media world. I came across you in your new book, which let me get the title right: Imagining Our Neighbors as Ourselves how art shapes empathy. And I had just done a podcast right before that with some friends of mine out in California who were talking about visual empathy. And he's, he's a painter. And I was like, it's like the empathy, like, all right, God, I'm listening. I'm listening. You know? And so I wanted to have you on to talk about this incredible book that you've written and just, you know, how art helps us to, to operate and find ourselves in the world. But before that, why don't we kind of roll the tape back a little bit and, let everybody know who you are, what you do in the world, and, and um, then we can kind of get into this book. Oh, you, so you want me to tell you a little bit about myself? Yeah, that'd be great. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so I am I am from Memphis. I mean, I've always been a person who is very much drawn to all types of art, visual, um, music, uh, uh, literature, philosophy, and I, I, I often felt that Sometimes I learn just as much or maybe even more, sometimes even from secular sure. art origins than even Christian, although I learned a lot from Christian artists and yeah. church, but, um, and I had many friends that were artists and I was, I just always felt like there was something that there was just an amazing and different way to learn from artists. And, you know, later on, I realized we call that the prophetic, <laughs> you know, I learned, I've t- had conversations with Mako Fujimura and learned from him um, about the, the significance and the role of the prophetic, you know, artist. Um, but I've, I've seen in person through different ministry opportunities I've had, and also in the classroom, how much the arts can really help us with our spiritual formation. This is not just like Francis Schaeffer bemoans the idea that, um, that so many, he thinks many Christians, he was writing in the sixties though, but many yeah, Christians yeah. are just as window dressing, but that this is actually something central to, you know, uh, can be something very central to the life of faith. So um, I went to, uh, went to covenant college um, which is a Christian college, Lookout Mountain, Georgia. Yeah. And then I ended up doing graduate school in the UK 
and was five and a half years in England and working with an international student ministry. And at the heart of the ministry were, were discussions about the arts with especially many European continental European students who many of them had a real, um, I would say a, a, a real resistance, a real, they were almost allergic to Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. Yet when we would watch a film together or go to a concert or talk about, uh, or go to an art museum, the conversations that came out really would often get to the core of who they are and what they believed and would lead up. And it was, it wasn't just um, that we were trying to use art as a tool, but it right. was that art really spoke to them at the core of their being. And it was a way for us to come together. So I did a PhD in literature and theology at Newcastle and um, in in England. And then I have been now I've I've taught at Calvin university and now I'm at um, Cal uh, Lee university. Yeah. This is my 13th year. And I again, have a passion for, I mean, I've done a sort of a series of lectures uh, some years that I was there, quite a few of the years called arts and culture series that are very much about this, the relationship between art and spiritual formation and bringing in different types of artists to talk about their practice. Um, But relating to the book, um, I really have seen the way and I'm talking particularly here about narrative art and yeah, sure. But the way that reading literature that is maybe challenging some students wouldn't necessarily reach out and read, how it has actually broadened their capacity for empathy for people that they tend to kind of put categories and labels on. And I've seen that so many times. And so I was really inspired to write about it and to share because I've learned so much from it. I've seen them learn from it. And so I wanted to open up and share with others. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, you know, especially in this world that we're living in where everybody wants to draw these quick, broad-based boxes to put everybody in with full of assumptions that may or may not be true and and all of our, you know, uh, all of our stuff layered on top of that, creating this lens through which we see people. It's, it is, it is refreshing. I think where, how God uses art to catch us off guard, if you will, and present truth uh, in a way that really strikes to the heart. And, I, you know, one of the things I'm always doing in our in our mentoring program, because I'm working with artists who mostly are Christians and are trying to bring, you know, bring that thing of how do I make a living actually in the marketplace doing this thing that I love. And so many of them feel this pressure to, you know, well, I'm a Christian, so I have to make, quote unquote, Christian art. And I've always just told people, I said, listen, and this is because I'm a basket maker. Like I can't, I said, Do ba- can baskets get saved? I don't even know how that is. How many cross baskets? I know, be? right? Like <laughs> you're Presbyterian. Maybe it was always meant to be. I don't know. You know, I mean, it was, you know who knows? But I, but I, I just, I said, you know, it, it's interesting that I, I really believe that God cares more that we create than what we create. Because when we are inviting the Holy Spirit into our creative process, we become this beautiful conduit for him to not only move on, you know, as, as we create, but move through. And isn't that the beautiful part about the creative process, right? That is the, it's the mystery of for us as the maker and also the viewer as well. 
the idea of being like co-creators with yes. Christ and that showing, you know, being in Christ in the, in the image of God. And that's what I like to tell students when we're reading texts, even from someone that they might really disagree with. Like I teach Marx and I teach Nietzsche and I say, I want you to remember that these were human beings made in the image of God. Yeah. And that every human being has a desire for meaning and truth and ultimately for God. Um, if we first approach that and then we need to be discerning about what they say, but there's a sense of, you can't really, I, we, I don't feel like we're really listening to another person well, unless they're willing to slow down and see them as a person. And from a Christian perspective, that means sees them in, in God's image. Yeah. That yeah. There's, there's a sacredness to their being. Yeah. And so how, how, you know, approaching any kind of writing or art making in that sense and realizing, and I just, I love teaching an interdisciplinary classes to see all the different connections between the different art forms. Yeah. And I love how that shows just the complexity of um, what it means to be human, what it means to be create, to create. So. <laughs> well, I think even just as an artist and I, I so appreciate what Mako is doing with slow making and this whole process that he really is leaning into that. I, as a basket maker, we don't have any other choice. Like it's slow, yeah. but I mean, it, it just is, you know, it's, it's 10,000 stitches, whether you like it or not, you yes. know, you can get frustrated or either enjoy it. But it, I think there is an intentionality that artists see uh, the world with that maybe others don't. And I think it's yeah. one of the reasons why God is, spotlighting, if you will, the arts uh, in this generation and in this time we find ourselves in, because we get this opportunity to not only be makers, but also be kind of forerunners for others to say, hey, have you thought about looking at the world this way? Have you thought about slowing down and and being able to hear somebody's story? And I wanted to read a, a little snippet from the back of, of your book. I just thought it was so appropriate and just a, a great tie-in. It says, in order to truly love and welcome others, we need to exercise our imagination. And I, when I read that, I was like, "What? Like, okay, I'm, I'm, off, I'm, on, I'm going with it. I'm going with it. to see ourselves or to see our neighbors more as God sees them uh, than as confined by our own inadequate and ungracious labels. We need stories that can convict us about our own sins of omission and commission, enabling us to see." the beautiful, complex world of our neighbors as we look beyond ourselves. Talk about that, because that's such a beautiful, beautiful way to, to, to put that. Thank you. Um, I actually was really challenged. I mean, I think this is a long time conversation in the world of like art and theology. And I like the way Mako talks about uh, having a sanctified imagination. Yeah. Um, but I think what really helped me to kind of go in that direction is a quote from the novel, The Power and the Glory by Graham Greene, where he says that it's, he says that hate is a failure of imagination. Mm. That was just really made me stop me in my tracks, challenged me. And it, it really made me think about how to, to, to hate someone else, you, you, you can't, you're not really willing to think about what it's like to be them mm. and how difficult their life is and how confused they are. Now we might use our imagination in a negative way, because sometimes if you really dislike someone, it's very easy to imagine. 
I don't know. I talk with my students. It's like, if you're really upset that your friends go off, um, uh, on a trip without you and leave you behind, you, you become angry and you're imagining all the things they're doing. You're becoming more and more bitter. <laughs> um, and so our imagination can be used in a negative sure. way, but also, but this kind of imagination is imagining my neighbor as myself. Mm. What is it? What, you know, th- they have the same longings that I do. They desire God the way I do. They desire meaning they hurt the way I do. Um, and so the imagination you know, we, we don't have the capacity. I I feel like part of our natural disposition is not to, to be attentive and to linger and to really try to imagine what it's like to be the other person. It's much easier just to slap the label on. Yeah. But there was a, another quote I was going to read from Simone Weil, who was the French existentialist, uh, you know, atheist who then had this amazing conversion experience And she's talking about the Good Samaritan. And this quote is so good. She says, attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. Mm. And she talks about how attention leads to a kind of creativity. It leads to a kind of artfulness. I mean, but artists are teaching us to be more attentive, um, to look at the details. But we also need to turn that on another human being and to be attentive to seeing the image of God in there and also trying to understand and imagine what their situation. So you can imagine yourself in their position. Um, So that's where the imagination, but that idea of when you hate someone, you're almost unwilling to think of them as fully human. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking immediately of so many people that I'm like, I got to introduce you to this person and that person. And, and that sort of thing. One of my friend, one of my friends, Brian Peterson, uh, started a ministry nonprofit really in uh, Santa Ana, California, called the Faces of Santa Ana. And he's been on the podcast. I'll have to send you the episode, but he talks about, you know, being this he's incredible portrait artist and you know, all this kind of stuff. And of some renown really nowadays. And um, but he and his wife moved into a bad area of you know Santa Ana, young couple. And um, as they moved into this new place, this guy who was struggling with homelessness and, uh, you know, chronic homelessness and probably a lot of other, you know, mental health issues and that sort of thing was walking up and and down the street outside, almost naked, just screaming. And and they're like, where have we moved and all this? And he he started sensing the Lord saying, "Uh, you need to go outside and make friends with this guy. And and not just in like a, I'm just going to give you a couple of bucks and and move on, like really – invest and see this guy. And as he did, uh, the Lord said, I want you to draw his portrait. And so he drew his portrait and I asked his permission to draw his portrait and started getting to know him over the weeks and, and came back and showed him the portrait. And there was this moment like of really like, Oh, you know, and this relationship started and Brian started, you know, this now ministry where they would go out and paint these portraits of people and, the huge opportunity for healing and restoration in people's lives. And uh, we have one of his paintings in our home. When people buy the painting, they actually give the money to the person uh, wow. who, in, in this love account that, that they create. And it's this beautiful, redemptive sort of, you know, <laughs> the heart of empathy, you know, right there. But I, I just, as you're ta- telling this, I'm just thinking of, of that whole story. And I'm thinking for you, because, most people that are writing books, you, you've had a, there's been a moment or something. I know for me, every 
what I've written, there's like, oh, you know, was there a moment for you or a series of moments where you started saying, and the Lord just kind of started highlighting, wow, like yes. this movie's not just a movie. This song's just not a song. This book's just not a book. What what was that like for you? Um, I think, well, I was just going to say for just a moment back to your friend, because yeah. I'm so taken with that. I'm just thinking about that, per, that homeless man. Think the idea that some, the attentiveness that someone has given to him and just showing, I'm thinking about that idea. I I talk in the book about Blaise Pascal's understanding of human beings as being, having both wretchedness and glory, you know, Mm. image of God and fallen. And I'm thinking how someone who probably many days is treated like he's a piece of trash. Mm. And then here's someone to kind of highlight the glory. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so moving. So <laughs> thank you for sharing that. Let's just have a moment right now. I mean, it really is. It's so it powerful. Is, right. It yeah. is. Um, I, I think I've seen the the arts. I mean, even when I was in Newcastle and worked in international student ministry and had film discussions and the, the things that some of the international students would share of um, because they connected so much to the characters and then they felt safe to open up and share but I think some of the even even more recent examples are in my classroom. And in particular, I've, I've written an article recently about this, um, especially on the topic of race. Uh, and I'm in a, you know, a, a Christian college, predominantly white. Sure. Uh, we still ha- we, we have a higher level diversity than many Christian colleges. And I think that's great, both socioeconomic and racial. And I teach Othello every fall. And I also teach Frederick Douglass's narrative in the spring. And these are like core classes that everybody has to take. Sure. And it's interesting with both of those books, but I'll just highlight with Othello because Othello, you think this is written in 1604 by a white guy, you know, (laughs) but it's about the story of um, a, a black man you know, an African who is, has married a European woman. And um, there is just this kind of cultural racism against him and so many horrible things that happened to him. And this antagonist that is a white guy, which is a strange thing in the Renaissance that you'd have the good guy be black and the bad guy be white. That's very strange. So anyway, but we talk so much from 1604 of a 1604 book about racial profiling and about how much it would it would hurt for someone to constantly say these things mm. and how then the person who was being abused would internalize that and start yeah. to think of themselves as maybe I am that way maybe I am worse and then I'll see some of the black students in class open up and share experiences that they've been too afraid well, I've had so many students write me later on um, telling me that reading a book like that and even this fictional character really made them think beyond what they had experienced. Um, because I have a lot of students that come from small towns where they don't meet a very diverse group of people. And I'll have students quite overtly say, uh, well, I've always been taught as I was growing up that I should be afraid of black people mm, or even wow. my parents use the N word. 
Wow. Or things like that. And yeah. I mean, you can get this anywhere in the country. It's not True. just the South, as we know, but there's lots of students coming from rural areas, but then they're convicted and, and they it's and it's because they're confronted they, with. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The empathy they develop from the character and even more powerful when students in class speak up. And so I think the arts, they can help to give some some individuals a voice and they can it can also work to convict and um, and both of those relate have to do with the empathy. So I was I was seeing that happen over and over. And some of the some of the comments I've gotten are just so moving. And so I thought, OK, I need to <laughs> this is something I need to write about more. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So that's well, just some examples. Well, yeah, I mean, it becomes it's not just this cognitive thing that's rolling around in your mind now. You, as you talk about your this, the art and the narrative is is taking you into that story. So yes. you're in there with your emotions and your imagination, and you're feeling what they're feeling. And all of a sudden, this is not just something mom and daddy told you. This is like I'm in the moment now with this person, and I'm feeling this, and all, that changes you. It changes the way you see. And I, I'm wondering for you, Mary, as you know. I don't know who you wrote the book for necessarily, but, you know, we're talking to to artists today, primarily on, on the podcast. And if an artist, and I hope you will pick up this book and and and, and drink it in and and uh, and get all the goody out of it. What, how would you hope that an artist presents their work and interacts with their work and, uh, you know, goes into their craft every day? How would you hope they do that differently after reading your book? I, I mean, I'm, I'm, they probably are already doing many of the things that I'm highlighting just by nature of being an artist, but I would hope it would encourage them in that because, you know, one thing I talk about in here is that to me, really good art is going to re- reflect the kind of deep mystery and deep complexity of what it means to be human. Yeah. Not just relying on oversimplified formulas, because I actually feel like that can be very harmful. Like mm. how many bad romantic comedies that, you know, <laughs> right. that, Do we need? Right. that you know, that, that I can see, um, especially like in my students age, you know, watching and thinking that's what life is like. That's what people are like. And so I feel like good art is like, it's not giving us easy answers. Mm. And even this can be visual art. This can be, it's in a way it's pushing us past. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of, uh, well, there's so many things. That's why I'm kind of stumbling. (laughs) It's it's pushing us past just, it's pushing us past just reducing and oversimplifying. It's, it's, It's pointing us towards, the mystery and glory of God, of the creation, and of created human beings. And um, I feel like really good art should almost leave us more with a sense of mystery and wonder, you know, to be back like children, yeah. to be in a state yeah. of wonder, and then, then just, okay, I figured it all out. Okay, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Because so well, much... Yeah. Art just tells you exactly what you want to hear. And I don't feel like that really helps. So I think, a, a, you know, that the prophetic sense of artist, it's actually causing you to push very much deeper. Yeah. So. Well, I think, you know, we hear a lot about, you know, especially in, in the prophetic, you know, we want to encourage, equip and edify, build up and that sort of thing. But I'm like, 
the same God that wants you to do that is also the blacksmith that blows on your fire over here as well. Like he's the one that's stirring things up and, and turning up the heat. And, and, you know, so it, I, I think that any artist that is kind of in this pigeonhole of it's got to be G rated family friendly church, you know, you, you played at Wednesday night supper at your, at your church, you know, that is, just the beginning of, of and just a teeny teeny part of of what it can be because you know I, I tell artists all the time I'm like listen when God gives you an inspiration it's coming through um you know all the lens and, and all the the filters through which you've encountered him and encountered life and the beliefs you have and the tools that you have in your tool belt creatively and all that sort of thing and I think so many times artists do a disservice by by quickly kind of taking an idea and processing it through the most quick um, artistic, you know, processing way that we can, whether that's a painting or writing or whatever, rather than allowing that seed to be planted and to die and to go through the process to marinate, you know, if you will, inside yeah. and really come out on the other side as something that's thoughtful and that is, that is provoking and, and can be encouraging as well. So. Absolutely. I mean, yes, I, I just, I just think that any quote art that is just following a simple formula to give the people what they want is just right. You know, where's the struggle? Where's the, where's the humanity in it? Um, So have you, are you familiar with uh, the book, the prophetic imagination by Walter Brueggemann? I'm not, but I'll have to to get that. I just had, this was not on purpose. I happen to have it right. (laughs) (laughs) But it's because I was reading it, but theologian, um, I don't agree with everything he always says, yeah, uh, sure. but um, it's a book about prophets in the, the Old Testament prophets, but his, so I taught an entire semester class where students read a chapter of it and then read a novel or watched a film. And we looked at how, because the way he's speaking about prophetic, when you mentioned about the, the fire, yeah. and the, uh, um, he talks about two sides of the of the idea of prophetic. One is critique and lament mm. that in order to be prophetic, we have to be willing to to um, to to mourn with those who mourn, to yeah. really acknowledge what, you know the the pain and injustice. And but then the other side is hope and hope based on doxology, he says. But it's so interesting because I'm thinking about those two things working together in good art. I mean, and he's he's talking about the prophets. He goes through and talks about um, different Old Testament prophets and how we see this in their their proclamations and things they're saying. Um, But then it really relates to the role of an artist as well, I, I think, uh, so yeah, I recommend that to anybody listening. Walter Brueggemann, The Prophetic Imagination. It was awesome. written in the 70s, I think, or maybe wow. early 80s. Wow. So it's not a new one, but it's such a pot, it's you know, it's a reissue. So I was there in the 70s, 73. So <laughs> <laughs> that's what I came. <laughs> well, Mary, listen, we could be friends for a long time and, and talk forever, but I know that folks are gonna want to grab a copy of the book, connect with you on, on social or wherever you are, you know, these days. So where's the best place that people can kind of continue uh, finding out about you and, and grab the book? Yeah. Um, well, they can, I mean, I'm on social media. I'm all, I'm on all the, all the things just with my name, Mary okay. 
example. Um, but I also, I have a website and it's marywmccampbell.com. Um, and you can read some of the articles I have. Uh, of course, you can find the book anywhere you find books. But I also have a newsletter that I've started, um, a Substack that is bi-weekly, although I've gotten behind, but it's bi-weekly <laughs> called The Empathetic Imagination. Cool. That's looking at different works of art, like continuing this conversation. So if you go to my website, you can sign up for that, or you can just look for my name on Substack. So, yeah. And then you started a podcast this summer. Is it around this subject or something else? Or Yes, it's also called The Empathetic Imagination. And it is, it hasn't come out yet. It should come out, I think, in a few weeks. Nice. We've done, we've done nine episodes so far. We're just putting on the final touches and we'll release it. So um, exciting. You should be able to find that on my website once it's done. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, listen, it is a joy to get to know you and just your heart, not only for the body of Christ in the world, but also creatives. And uh, thank you for spending a little time with us and sharing your story and about your new book. So thanks for being thank on there. Thank you. This was, I really enjoyed it. It's very enriching and exciting for me. So thank you so much. Hey, thanks so much for spending a few minutes with me today on the podcast. Listen, I hope it's been a huge encouragement to you on your journey as an artist. Hey, also, before you leave, make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any of the other episodes of the Thriving Christian Artist Podcast. And also, be sure to connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, or at my website, which is matttommymentoring.com. Until next time, remember, you were created to thrive. Bye-bye.